Hey everyone, Andrew here, and welcome back to another episode of the Let's Nintendo It podcast. The only podcast that will make you believe that paper makes a great video game genre. At the time of this recording, Nintendo just recently announced that the original Paper Mario, released in 2000 for the Nintendo 64, is coming to Nintendo Switch Online. I figured this is the perfect time to talk about a game that I try to implement in all of my daily conversations, and even some weddings. Before I really delve into my experiences with Paper Mario, I just want to say for one, the version that I'm mostly going to be talking about is the Wii U Virtual Console version. I haven't found the original cartridge yet, and I still lose sleep over that. Second, I just want to say that in the description of this podcast episode you're listening to, there's a link to a survey. When you're done with this episode, if you could fill out the survey to let me know what you like and didn't like about this episode, I would really appreciate that. Well hey, that's everything I wanted to say. Without further ado, let's get into Paper Mario, the hit game that started a very hit and miss franchise. Paper Mario originally started as a sequel to Super Mario RPG for the Super Nintendo. For those of you who don't know, Super Mario RPG was developed by Square Enix, who at the time were the absolute kings of turn-based RPGs. On the Super Nintendo alone, they made amazing hits such as Final Fantasy 4, 5, and 6, Chrono Trigger, Secret of Mana, games that to this day are described as not only some of the best RPGs ever made, but some of the best games ever made. And Nintendo originally wanted Square Enix to develop the sequel to Super Mario RPG as well. However, Square Enix were a little busy developing a little-known sleeper hit you may know as Final Fantasy VII for the PlayStation at the time, so they left the development of Super Mario RPG 2 pretty early on in development. Instead, Paper Mario was primarily developed by Intelligent Systems, who at the time were not known for much in America. You may know them as the Fire Emblem developers, but at the time, no Fire Emblem games were even localized in America at this point. This is the same case for the Advance War series which they also developed, and WarioWare was a few years off from even existing. The game had a long four-year development, and there was even a bit of help from some outside studios such as LucasArts, Rareware, Ubisoft, and even Sonic Team. But eventually in August 2000 in Japan, and in 2001 for nearly everywhere else, the game was released under a brand new name, Paper Mario. And when you see the visual style of this game, it becomes pretty clear why they decide to go with that name. Unlike the prequel to this game, Super Mario RPG, trying to emulate 3D on a mostly 2D console, Paper Mario has a more of a focus on its 2D sprites on a console that's known for its 3D games. Which is a decision I think is absolutely ingenious. The Nintendo 64 was Nintendo's first console that they could easily make 3D polygons, but because that technology and hardware was still very new at the time, these polygons looked very primitive compared to what you see today. And because of that, a lot of the games made in this era that were 3D don't exactly hold up graphically. However, the devs at Intelligent Systems wanted to go for a more diorama look with this game. So instead of the playable characters being 3D models, which was the norm, they made all of them 2D sprites with very simplistic designs, making the game almost look like a child's pop-up book. Because of this, using 3D models for all the overworld and the buildings may make the game look simple, but my goodness, graphically, it all just works, and creates a world that, for what it lacks in realism, it makes up in style. 
I absolutely adore this game's art direction. Instead of trying to push the limits of the Nintendo 64, it embraced those limits, and used them to its advantage. And as a result, it created one of the best-looking games on the console, that still holds up even today. In terms of the music, it's still pretty good. Despite the fact that this game has nowhere near as good a soundtrack as its prequel, it still works for the pop-up book art style. This game's music is comparatively more slower and simpler than Super Mario RPGs, which isn't a bad thing at all. At worst, it always nails the nice, tranquil atmosphere that this game's going for. And at best, well, this game has some really great highs when it comes to its soundtrack. First off, the battle theme. I love this game's battle theme. It's fast, energetic, and I never ever get tired of listening to it. Within the endgame, the theme when Mario first enters Peach's castle, as well as the final phase of the Bowser battle, are so good! The Peach's castle infiltration music sets up the atmosphere beautifully, while the final Bowser battle theme just knocks it out of the park. It is incredibly epic. And let me tell you something, if you don't hop to the beat of Mount Rugged's music, then I'm sorry, you have no soul! But I think the biggest compliment I could give this game musically is how atmospheric and outright ethereal the theme for Shiver Mountain sounds. Considering this game is meant to look like a children's pop-up book, this game's story is also appropriately simple. Bowser, being up to his usual tricks, steals an artifact from Star Haven, the place where all wishes are granted, called the Star Rod, along with imprisoning the seven guardians of the Star Rod, who are known as the Star Spirits. Now that Bowser has the power to grant any wish that he wants, well, okay, what do you think he's going to do? He kidnaps Peach. However, this time, Bowser's feeling a little bit extra with his methods. Instead of just simply kidnapping the princess, he somehow has a flying castle built directly underneath Princess Peach's castle. I always assumed that this castle was built because of the powers from the Star Rod, but it's never really directly explained in-game, so I can't really say for sure. Maybe Bowser's minions are just expert contractors? Though I do highly doubt that, as some of his minions don't have arms or self-destruct spontaneously after a few seconds of existing. Either way, luckily Mario is there while the castle's being risen up to space, but with the power of the Star Rod, Bowser defeats Mario and sends him plummeting down to Earth. So now it's up to Mario to get all seven Star Spirits, raid Bowser's castle, obtain the Star Rod, and of course, rescue Peach. Now, a story this simple sounds fine for a normal Super Mario game, but for an RPG, that's kind of problematic. Role-playing games are much longer than your average 2D platformer, so they usually have a deep and engaging story in order to keep players playing for longer. However, Intelligent Systems didn't earn their name for nothing, as they implemented two fantastic ideas to keep the usual Bowser Kidnaps Peach story engaging. First off, the game is divided into eight chapters. One chapter for each of the seven Star Spirits that you have to rescue, and of course the eighth chapter is for Bowser's Castle. Each chapter plays out a miniature, more contained story, which ends with you finding that respective star spirit. These stories feel very separated from the Bowser Kidnaps Peach plot, but they're really endearing. There are a lot of fantastic ideas, such as finding a long-lost temple in the middle of a desert, helping a bunch of ghosts find the secret to defeating a supposedly undefeatable monster, and even proving Mario's innocence when he gets framed for a murder. I'm not joking, play the game! 
It also helps that each of the different chapters takes place in very tonally different areas. Of course, you got your grasslands, your deserts, your winter wonderlands, but you also got dense jungles as well as a toy box. Thanks to the chapter system of storytelling, this game is marvelously paced. You never feel like you're in one area fighting the same enemies for too long. Each chapter feels like it's the perfect length, and they know when the player wants to move on to new lands and new ideas. However, this style of storytelling may make some people concerned that there's no incentive to really rescue Princess Peach. If throughout the chapters there's no mention of Bowser or Peach, you won't really care to see if Peach gets rescued at all, thus not care about your overall goal. And you would be right, if the developer of intelligent systems weren't smarter than both you and me combined. Because the second genius direction that Intelligent Systems took with the story is that Mario is not the only playable character. Nearly every single chapter has an epilogue where you get to play as Peach. While playing as Peach, you now get to explore her now-abducted castle, looking for clues on the locations of the next Star Spirit in order to help Mario. Of course, while trying to avoid all of Bowser's minions, as well as the big man himself. These epilogue sections are a nice change of pace from the main game, and they never last too long to be annoying or intrusive. This extremely thoughtful inclusion may make this game the absolute best interpretation of the Bowser Kidnaps Peach plot we have ever had to this day. Additionally, they absolutely aced the characters in this section, as this game has my favorite interpretation of both Peach and Bowser. Princess Peach is mostly who you expect her to be. She's prim, proper, and very, very sweet. However, she shows an adventurous side to her that you just don't see in any other game. Not being afraid of reading Bowser's diary and eventually looking forward to exploring her now usurped castle. It's also implied through some in-game texts that she had to go to a princess school in order to be taught how to be a proper lady. However, there's some events in the game where you see Peach actively trying to fight that urge to keep on being a delicate, proper princess in order to do the right thing. It's an extremely interesting side of Princess Peach that almost makes her tragic in a way. I really hope that they bring this back for a future game. However, I feel the most effective way they make you care about Peach is that you see that she genuinely cares about Mario. You see her taking a lot of risks and sneaking through the castle just to help him. When she hears about the next threat that Mario has to go through, she genuinely worries about his safety. And even the little details, such as the fact that you see she has a picture of Mario in her room. She doesn't just scream for help at the beginning of the game and then kiss Mario on the nose at the end. She genuinely cares about Mario, which makes the player want to reunite them that much more. And oh my goodness, how could I go through a Paper Mario review without mentioning Bowser? Super Mario RPG was the first real game where he had a personality, and they nearly aced it. He loved being evil, he had a crush on Peach, he was bold, brash, and had a giant ego, but you see that that big personality is compensating for some insecurity, which made him such a fun and lovable character. Bowser's incarnation in Paper Mario has a lot of the same personality traits as he did in Super Mario RPG, except they improved on one aspect of Bowser that I thought was really missing in Mario RPG. Bowser feels like a threat. He's funny and charming, and yet still very intimidating. You see how much his minions and other bosses you fight throughout the game are intimidated and fear Bowser. But they don't make him too evil to the point where him having a diary doesn't seem realistic. And when Mario does eventually battle Bowser in the final boss of the game, it makes for one of the greatest fights those two have ever had. 
in this game, Peach and Bowser are not the only ones who have character. This whole world is just brimming with charm. There are so many cute and charming character designs, and the writing is just so good. Additionally, there's a lot of fun side activities you could do to take a break from the main game, such as collecting the 160 star pieces you could find throughout the game. There are many ways you can get these, such as completing side quests, delivering mail, answering quiz questions about the very game you are playing to this dimension-traveling worm, and of course, hidden throughout the game's overworld. So be sure to check every single tree, every single bush, and try your best to find the hidden panels that are scattered throughout the world with a star piece in it. Even though it's important to collect star pieces as they are a currency, I certainly don't think it's worth it to find all of them. You'll find all the star pieces you need as long as you try to look for them, and there's no reward for getting every single star piece in the game. So unless you're going for 100%, I don't recommend you lose sleep over trying to collect every single star piece in the game. There's also creating recipes from pre-existing items. A chef in Toad Town named Taste Tea, there's a lot of puns like that in the game, will cook one item or combine two items into a brand new item. This doesn't work for every single combination. I mean, it doesn't matter how many years of culinary school you attend. Even Gordon Ramsay can't combine an alarm clock and a mushroom into something edible. But it's a cool way to make some powerful items in order to make the most of your... limited item inventory. There's also exploring the sewers. It's more exciting than it sounds. Within this sewer system, there's lots of star pieces, upgrades, quick travel points to areas you've traveled to previously, and even some optional mini-bosses. But what I love about this game is that there's so many small details that are completely insignificant to gameplay, but help flesh out the world. For example, Mario and his various partners he travel with all have a P.O. box. Characters that you meet throughout the game write to our heroes. And these letters range from thank you notes, to love letters, to even death threats. Additionally, Luigi's in this game, and he's so adorable. He's not playable in any way, and the game does a fantastic job of portraying Luigi as a supportive and caring younger brother, while subtly showing how envious and jealous he is of Mario for going on this journey. He even has a diary that he writes in with all of his personal feelings. And just like the older brother Mario is, he reads Luigi's diary without him knowing about it. If that's not the sign of an extremely charming game, I don't know what is. Now, I've talked a lot about the world, the characters, the story, and how phenomenal all of those are. And yet, I haven't even talked about how the game plays yet. And there's a reason for that, because despite all of the praises I've given to every single part of this game, I consider the gameplay to be by far the greatest aspect of Paper Mario. Let me put it this way, this gameplay style is so good that fans have been begging for it to come back since 2004 and has doomed all future entries in this series to be compared to these original two games. Because I truly mean it when I say Paper Mario has one of my favorite turn-based battle systems ever, after the first hour or two of the game at least. I don't know why they decided to do this, but in the prologue of the game, you barely have any options you could perform. This makes the prologue feel very automated. During this chapter, there's really only one option you can do against every enemy and every boss that you encounter, making every playthrough of it feel the exact same. But even as you're playing this less-than-exciting prologue, you'll notice right off the bat that Paper Mario is much more simple than most turn-based RPGs. 
enemies only have three stats, HP, Attack Power, and Defense. This makes it a lot easier to determine how much damage exactly you'll do to an enemy. For example, say you have a hammer attack that does 4 damage, and the enemy you want to do it against has 1 defense point. By doing some simple subtraction, you know that your hammer attack will do 3 damage against that enemy. There are no luck-based factors in this game either. Enemies can't evade your attacks, and there are no damage ranges. It's just as simple as addition or subtraction to determine how much damage one of your attacks will do to a given enemy. By lowering the amount of stats there are in this game, as well as their numerical value, it makes it a lot more intuitive to decide the optimal strategy against the groups of foes that you face. After the prologue is finished, you gain access to the key mechanic that was introduced in Super Mario RPG, Action Commands. While you're doing an attack, if you do a certain control input at the right time, such as pressing the A button or releasing the control stick, you'll do more damage. And for the special, more powerful, more flashy attacks, you usually have more complicated button commands to fit with them. You can also perform action commands while the enemies are attacking you. If you press A the very moment the attack makes contact with you, you can guard and reduce the amount of damage you take. This adds a nice level of interactivity to every single battle, and creates a turn-based battle system where you're always doing something at one time. You're never waiting. When it's the player's turn to choose commands, you don't just control Mario, but you also control a partner character. These partners are very comparable to party members you get in any other RPG game. You find these characters as the story progresses, and not only do they give you new battle skills in your arsenal, but they also have field effects which let you solve puzzles to progress with the game. These partners add a lot of attacks which make Mario just that much more versatile. There's a Koopa Troopa named Cooper who specializes in dealing damage to ground enemies, Watts a little Sparky who's able to cut through the fences of enemies and raise Mario's attack power, a Goomba named Goombario who's able to tell you the stats of an enemy and show their HP on screen, just to name a few. The twist is, is that during any single turn, you're able to perform one command from Mario and one command from one partner. And, under certain exceptions, if you want to switch from one partner to another, it either takes up Mario's action for that turn or it takes up the partner's action for that turn. So you have to take into account what partner is out currently, what can you do with them, and if you have to switch, whose turn do you want to use to switch them. I do really like the partner system a lot. While the partners are by no means deep characters, they're still really fun to play as and most of them have really great utility. My only issue is I don't like the fact that it does take up somebody's action when you do want to switch a partner. I wish by default you could just switch partners whenever you want. I feel like it would have made the gameplay flow a little bit better. This isn't a huge problem though because there are ways to circumvent this as I'll discuss later. On top of there being items you could use to either heal yourself or deal damage to enemies, the final mechanic I want to bring up is star powers. Every time you rescue a star spirit at the end of a chapter, they'll give you a new attack that uses its own consumable resource called star power. These moves can be really devastating. Even though the star powers overall are very good, I do have a few complaints about them mechanically. First off, they don't use any action commands. Other than items, these are the only attacks where you have no influence on how much damage or how effective they are. And second off, SP is a really weird unit of energy. SP will not refill normally. It fills up passively as turns go by, but it fills up extremely slow. 
Additionally, there are no items that heal SP. The only ways you can heal SP include resting at an inn specifically, leveling up, which fully heals your character, or to dedicate Mario's full turn to do the Focus Command, which charges up star power a little bit more than usual. But I never see this as worth it. I'm playing a turn-based RPG. I don't want to focus, I want to fight. It's such an unreliable unit of energy that I find myself not risking using star powers most of the time. So yeah, from what you've heard, there's quite a bit of options Mario can do in a single turn, which is fantastic, but I don't think it's what truly makes Paper Mario a great RPG. What I love about Paper Mario is that Mario is just so customizable in this game. One way the game does this is by how level-ups work. You see, Mario has three main stats. There's HP, which is self-explanatory, how much health he has. There's FP, or flower points, which is basically magic points. If you want to use especially powerful attacks, you consume FP. And BP, or badge points, which lets you wear more badges. In most traditional RPGs, when you level up, you gain a little bit of points in every single stat. But in Paper Mario, whenever you get 100 star points, which is this game's version of XP, the player chooses whether they want to upgrade HP, FP, or BP for that level. They can only choose one per level up. This means the player can build Mario however they want. If you feel like playing it safe, get a lot of HP level ups. That way you're able to take more hits from enemies. If you like spamming powerful special attacks, just focus on FP. Or if you feel like you just want a more balanced Mario, you could totally do that too. I love how much freedom this game gives when it comes to deciding what type of character you want to play as. Now, this is only mostly true because in this particular game, all of the stats have a cap to them. You could have a maximum of 50 HP, a maximum of 50 FP, and a maximum of 30 BP. And Mario can only reach up to level 27 before all the stats are maxed out. Because of this, you could make Mario specialize throughout most of the game, but when you get to the end of the game, you usually end up with a balanced Mario whether you like it or not. However, that's not the only way you could truly customize Mario. Because now, at long last, it's finally time to talk about badges. These are accessories that you get throughout the game that you could equip on Mario. Each badge costs a certain amount of BP to equip. So naturally, the more BP you have, the more badges you could put on. Generally, the better the effect, the more BP it costs to actually put on, and my goodness, there are so many effects. From adding new attack commands to Mario's repertoire, increasing or decreasing Mario's stats, adding a percentage chance of Mario to flat-out avoid attacks, and there's even a badge in the game that lets Mario switch partners in battle without taking up a turn. Which, if you remember, was one of the very few problems I had with the battle system in the first place. There are 80 badges in this game, and so many potential builds Mario can have. BP is so good that in most playthroughs, including the ones I've done, I try to increase BP as much as I can. I focus moderately on FP, and I barely focus at all on HP. It's just so much fun seeing how much enemy attacks I can endure while making Mario completely built. If there's one complaint I have with the badge system, is that it's really easy to make very overpowered combinations in this game. The most common example I could think of, Power Bounce, which is an attack that goes on as long as you could keep on pressing the A button with good timing. This attack is really good, but it is still balanced because with every subsequent jump, you lose one point of attack power. 
meaning that if your first jump does 5 damage, then the next jump you'll perform will do 4 damage, then 3, then 2, and then 1 point of damage with every jump you do. However, there's also a badge called Super Jump Charge, which will charge the attack power of your next jumping attack by 3 points. You can also use this charging attack multiple times, and it will stack each of the boosts. So let's add this to our last example. Say you use Super Jump Charge two times in a row, and it will add six attack power to your next jumping attack, meaning your jump will go from five power on its first hop to 11 power. And so you do power bounce, then you'll do 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and so on, which will kill just about anything. Though, honestly, I think these overpowered combinations are a part of the fun of Paper Mario. For example, there's a badge for when Mario's at 1 HP, it will add 4 to his attack power. And I guarantee you, there are players that manipulate Mario's HP to be 1 in order to have that permanent plus 4 attack boost. To me, Paper Mario manages to achieve the impossible. Not only is there so many ways you can play this game, but it's also accessible to so many audiences. While I was growing up, there was always a stigma for me when it came to RPGs. Anytime I saw a turn-based role-playing game that wasn't Pokemon, I always thought it would really be hard to get into, and it would mostly be inaccessible unless you played other role-playing games. However, that's the magic of the Mario branding. To me, if there's a game with Mario on it, it represents a game that anybody, no matter what skill level they have with video games, is able to enjoy. And I'm very happy to say that Paper Mario, thanks to its simple but deep gameplay, charming visuals and world, and endearing story, is a game that I could recommend to anybody. This game is brilliant, whether it's your first RPG, or it's the 50th RPG you're playing this year. It's tragic that Nintendo may have retired this gameplay style forever. It's also sad that Nintendo continually ignores this game's sequel that released for the GameCube. But to me, I think it's healthier to appreciate what we've already had, and Paper Mario is one of the easiest recommendations I could make to anybody. This game is only rivaled by Banjo-Kazooie for being my absolute favorite on the console, so if you have the Nintendo Switch Online Expansion Pack, or you still have a Wii U and have access to the Virtual Console, give this adventure a go that's anything but flat. That's about all I want to say about Paper Mario. If you made it to the end of this episode, thank you so much for watching, I really appreciate it. If you want to leave feedback on how you like this episode, then please, fill out the survey that I put in the description. And, if you want to keep up with general updates on the podcast, be sure to follow me on Twitter, at WhatPodcasts. Anyways, this has been What's New Andrew, and that's What's New. <laughs>